From the studios of WBAA Public Radio in West Lafayette, this is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. We appreciate you being a part of the show this month. And if ever you have a question you'd like to make sure gets on the program, email that to ask at WBAA.org and tweet your questions at WBAA News on Twitter. How are you? Good to see you as always. Same here. Yeah, doing fine. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, we always talk about the summer um, not exactly ramping down for, for either one of us, actually. And I, I suspect this has been another one of those years. There was a lot going on at the trustee meeting last week, a lot of different developments and things like that. And I actually have a question from a listener, Peter, uh, who's a professor here on the campus. And it's about all of the goings on. He says the construction of apartments and some retail spaces along the west part of State Street and the recent announcement of a new neighborhood development between Airport Road and US 231 make it appear that Purdue and PRF are turning into real estate developers. How do these developments support the educational mission of the university and will they force new academic and research buildings into a more crowded central campus? Well, that's a good and fair question. Um, it's integrally related to the long-term uh, mission of teaching and research of Purdue. We've talked on this program and many other uh, places about uh, the Discovery Innovation District, which uh, we uh, hope and intend to uh, really enhance the attractiveness of the campus area and of Greater Lafayette as a destination because we want Peter to have the most brilliant colleagues possible in the future. And, and quite honestly, in the competition for such minds, and I would include students and grad students as well as faculty in that uh, description, um, uh, we sometimes face a disadvantage that, that uh, other places uh, look like more interesting or appealing um, uh, spots to live in and work in. And we think we can address that with the uh, Discovery Park Innovation District in all its respects, residential, recreational, um, commercial, and otherwise. So um, the, the, the goal and the end point absolutely is to um, create a, uh, an even better uh, quality of life and, uh, and uh, sense of place, as people like to say, here. And um, I think we're well underway to doing that. Frankly, um, if you look at the master plan, quite apart from the Discovery District, the master plan for campus, we want more students, more density, so to uh, speak, of students. We, we want uh, the academic uh, facilities to be more accessible to them. And so that, that all works together pretty well. But So Peter seems to be asking about uh, the sort of tight packing of the academic space and uh, you know we no need only look here next door to us here at Elliott Hall what used to be a parking lot is now going to become a, a, a science teaching mm -hmm. building and so some space that previously had been just ground level is now a four or five story mm -hmm. building soon to be uh, is that the plan too? back to his question of just try to keep it short walking distance we always have at Purdue the, the goal has always been to see if you can uh, um, make sure that the longest walk is 10 or 15 minutes but there have been bikes and, uh, and bike paths and all kinds of other ways to help people get around uh, more uh, conveniently. You know, along with the uh, other changes that are happening, we are taking some cars off some of the streets. State Street is one example, but there are others. At some point, I think, uh, for instance, Third Street will become a 
pedestrian and bicycle corridor. So that'll, I, I think, uh, alleviate uh, any uh, sense of congestion, even as as we do very purposely try to uh, build and gather our, um, uh, our our residential and academic enterprise uh, closer together. You know, when I look at other schools, and I'm going to use IU as a nearby example, it's a I don't know how um, students and faculty manage when things are so spread out. Their their geographic footprint's about twice as big as ours, and I think there's a not just a convenience advantage, but uh, uh, we want students and faculty to uh, collide uh, literally and. Uh, I think it builds a greater sense of community. It's worth noting that uh, having worked on the IU campus for five years myself, there's still plenty of traffic congestion there, despite the fact it is so spread out. You used an interesting phrase a moment ago. You said you wanted Purdue to look more appealing to people. Is some of what you're doing specifically designed also for aesthetics as much as anything else? Because there have been plenty of people who have said, look, you know, the campus, If again, compare it to IU. IU's campus gets lots of plaudits for all of the limestone kind of looking like you would think a college campus would look like. Purdue has been, you know, looked like a STEM university, which it has been, but there hasn't seemed to be a lot put into, hey, look at the neat architecture. Now there's a lot of new building. There's a lot of excitement building around the fact that there are these new edifices going up. Are you trying to make it just look nicer, too? Yes, absolutely. And it, that's not recent. There's been, I think, a tr- terrific transformation over recent years. I've so often observed that um, years ago when my friends attended here or, or in subsequent years, for a long time, people would say great things about Purdue, but you wouldn't hear people say what a beautiful place. A lot of red brick and parking lots. Uh, that began changing, I would say, a couple, uh, three decades ago. Um, everything from tree planting to more a diverse architecture. And now I'm struck over and over again. When I when I uh, stop and say hi to a tour group or, or hear from someone who has visited campus, maybe it's an alum who hadn't been back in a long time, they usually start with, boy, the place looks great. What a pretty place. And that's, that's I think... Uh, only happened in the last uh, yeah, 10 or 20% of our 150-year history. So we had another question that came in from Peter that went to something we didn't get to talk about last month, uh, which is the school signing a deal with your daughter Maggie to bring some of those rentable tiny homes that people may have seen to football games this fall. And Peter wants to know if you absented yourself from the matter when it was being voted on or if you were out of the room for the whole thing. Um, I'll give a little context to his question here. You've been quoted as saying you, in your words, bent over double backwards to try to avoid appearances of impropriety in, in her company getting the contract. Peter's question says, from an ethics standpoint, um, the president should not have been present for any of the discussion nor for the vote. Did he actually participate in the discussion of the issue? No. Okay. And Peter should know, uh, if he doesn't, that it's uh, not easier to do business with some enterprise that a person like me is involved in. It's much, much harder. When the development people brought this idea, which is happening, by the way, happened at the 500 for the last two years, happening at sporting events all over the place, um, uh, concerts and other ideas. A lot of people like these sustainable um, um, structures, and the chance to live for a few days right in or near a venue is they sell out everywhere they go. There's some in downtown Indianapolis right now. 
They brought the idea to me two years ago. I threw them out, said, no, go find somebody. If you want to do it, go find somebody else. I don't want to answer any insulting questions about whether, yes, I put a finger on the scales. I stayed completely away from it. Then they came back and they uh, said they wanted to put out an RFP. They did for several months. They called people, and they didn't get any takers except the company that finally has was chosen. The university put out the, the RFP. Yes, the, the development office who wanted to do this. Then I said, make some phone calls. So they called Airbnb and a, I think three or four other people, and nobody took. So there was one and only one bidder after all that process. Then I made them have a, have a vote on it, and I was absent completely during any discussion and whatever vote took place. So I don't know what more to do. Not one penny of Purdue money is going to the company involved. All we do is give them a piece of land for four days around a, or a couple of days around a football game. And uh, it's up to them to, uh, and as I understand, uh, they're uh, selling out pretty well. So that's the answer. And uh, if they're, aside from saying to our development people, no, you can't do this. And by the way, with the union closed, we need every possible accommodation for returning alums and others this year that we can get. Aside from telling them, I'm sorry, you just can't do it then, period. I don't know what more we could have done. That brings up a question of whether it is even possible for, uh, would it have been possible even hypothetically for your one of your daughters, for instance, to, to do any sort of business with the university without it causing these questions? I mean, is it even hypothetically possible? Listen, they're, they're perfectly fair questions, but I took all that time to explain exactly how important I, uh, how uh, seriously I take this business and uh, of, of, uh, being uh, uh, plainly and visibly and un unquestionably ethical in what we do. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. You can always email questions to get on this show. Ask at WBAA.org is that email address. And you can tweet questions at WBAA News on Twitter. Well, USDA officials recently announced they were going to locate the department's offices in Kansas City and not in Indiana. You had been a very vocal backer of, uh, of Secretary Purdue's plan to move those out of Washington. You, you wrote a, 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 an op-ed about it, among other things, and talked with him about it a little bit when he was here on campus a couple of months ago. Were you surprised Indiana was not chosen? A little bit, but not after I saw how much money uh, Kansas City uh, threw on the table. I do believe that apart from that, we had the superior offer because uh, here uh, they could have been uh, in residence with a community of scholars who do exactly what they do. One of the fine, they'd have been two blocks uh, down the street from one of the finest ag colleges in the world where agricultural economics and agricultural uh, scientific research are practiced at the highest levels. And um, so I uh, I do think that Indiana and, and, and Purdue as a, uh, as the central part of that, we put our best foot forward. However, uh, in the last job, um, uh, I made a very strong point. We created the Indiana Economic Development Corporation on my first day on the job, ratified it in statute as soon as we could. And from the very first meeting, which I uh, uh, specified the governor, whoever was governor, should chair that board personally, um, to remind them that jobs and growth was job one. From the very first meeting, we always insisted that the staff report on uh, the metric of 
subsidy or incentive dollars per new job or per new dollar of investment. The goal being to keep that as low as possible. And um, we always said, if if the competition is willing to do something that is reckless um, or excessive, you've just got to be prepared to let them buy the business. But we're not going to get into that game. There's, uh, there's nothing more dangerous than a politician running loose with the public checkbook in this in this uh, realm, because uh, you know today's elected official gets to cut the ribbon and get 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 his picture taken. The bills come due later. So, um, so, so where I, do you I, draw that line in this job, especially when it would have been a fairly high-profile thing for the USDA to say, "Look, we're doing this thing that hasn't been tried much before, moving out of Washington," and so the place where they move, you know, gets uh, a pretty big boost in terms of PR. Of we think it's really important that we're there. I'm disappointed from our standpoint, but from theirs, I respect the decision and I can understand it. Uh, the secretary uh, pointed out that when you add it all together, the American taxpayer is going to save it's either 20 or 30 million dollars a year. Much of that can be reinvested in these agencies if they choose. Um, and um, I'm, you can't blame him or the department for for taking 26 million dollars, which is the number we saw uh, reported. Uh, if somebody's willing to, to hand it to them, it's that's vastly more than Indiana was prepared to offer what was your offer i don't remember the exact number and depends what you count but it was not it it was certainly it was, was uh, it close no it wasn't very close okay and, uh, and i now I, again we had the dimension of purdue that uh, and uh, that we thought was something that certainly kansas city didn't have going for them but um i think all in it, it, it was a wise move to, to take it there i understand why they did uh, doggone it, it would have been a great addition to our community and to our, uh, our campus. But uh, Had you we'll, done any prep in the background in, in case it located here? Yes, we had. Uh, we were ready to go out with what amounted to a welcome wagon uh, letter to each employee, letting them know that, hey, we understood that uh, moving is never easy, but we this is going to be a great place for you to live and work, and we're going to do everything we can to make you welcome. We were We were locked and loaded in case we got the the right uh, answer, but um, that's just the nature of these. And if you don't compete for them, uh, obviously you're not going to have as much success as you might have. So with respect to that idea of a subsidy, how do you determine what you think is acceptable financial risk in terms of putting a package together and what you get back from it? Where do, how do you make that monetary comparison? Well, that's for today's uh, um, Economic Development Corporation to decide. I don't know what um, goals they're setting. I can just tell you, uh, those years ago when we created it and took a state bureaucracy and turned it into a nonprofit uh, entity uh, to go after business more effectively, more uh, go after jobs for the state, um, best we could tell, the records were not very good, the state had been, off, had been giving $36,000 per new job in various incentives. Uh, but within the first year, we brought that down to nine, so cut it by three quarters, and we tried to always drive it down. Drive the best deal you can. You know, the real point is uh, that we worked on all those years was build the best business environment. It's, the, the subsidies are the cherry, not the Sunday. if you know how business operates. And if somebody's going to make an investment that they intend to last for 20 or 30 years, yeah, sure, they'll, they'll take 
one-time or front-end subsidies if you offer them. But the most important thing you can do is what are your taxes? What are your, what's your regulatory climate? Am I going to get sued frivolously? Uh, how good's the infrastructure? And all those things. And uh, a state, and I think Indiana is a great example, that builds a and I always said, we'll build the best sandbox in America and investment will come. And if you do it that way, you don't have to put as many cherries on the Sunday. Well, I guess I guess it begs the question, do you have to add more cherries? I mean, <laughs> Kansas City in recent years has been growing. You know, there was the big Google gigabit Internet thing that they got a couple of years ago. Here you are on a major R1 university campus with lots of smart people who could go work for the USDA. But at the same time, it's well known that Indiana's got a shortage of qualified workers in a whole variety of different areas. Do you think that given that, that maybe the university or the IEDC or the state writ large underestimated what it would take to get this? That you didn't properly own up to what Indiana's challenges are. I'm not going to second guess our partners. This basically was for the Indiana uh, Economic Development Corporation to uh, decide on the size of the final package, and I am not going to second guess them. But it looks to me as though uh, um, we put together as competitive as a bid as we could responsibly uh, offer, and uh, you know, I can't. I'm not. I can't. Uh, 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 read the mind of the secretary, the people who decided with him, but they had obviously got a very good deal where they're going, already had some facilities there. They had a couple other reasons that Kansas City made sense. But um, uh, we gave it the old college try. Don't forget, we were we finished second out of 140 or some such number of communities who competed for this. So I don't like finishing second, but it, I think it shows that we made a good effort. On the subject of reaching out to government types or potential government types, uh, we had a talk on the show a couple months ago when Howard Schultz was on campus, the CEO, former CEO of Starbucks, who was pondering at that time a presidential campaign. It now seems like he may no longer be pondering that. Um, but I wondered, uh, based on a question we got for you at that time from somebody who works in and around the community here, who wanted to know about making those as accessible to people as possible. And it made me wonder whether now that we've got more than two dozen people across both major political parties who are considering running for president next year, has the university made any concerted effort in an organized way to reach out to each of them to say, hey, as many of you want to come and have conversations with smart, interested, young voters, we'd like to have you here. No, and I doubt we will as a university. I mean, um, if, if groups or individuals on campus want to extend their own invitations, of course they're free to do that. And, uh, you know, we work with them uh, on any necessary arrangements. But, uh, no, we, we haven't and uh, don't have any plans to do it right now. Uh, the... Uh, you know, to be honest, we I, I like the, the fact that I want I hope our students will be and and the whole community will be interested and possibly active. But it's not our principal reason for being here, and I I want to make sure we stay focused on the mission of of teaching and research and engagement. So I have to say, at the same time where you're talking about putting in a civics test as a graduation requirement and wanting students to demonstrate that they know more about government. It seems a little incongruous to me not to invite presidential candidates who are, you know, potentially the leader of this country who will be at the top of every ballot come next year. Wouldn't that be a great way to help teach students about this, the civic responsibility they have? 
it might be, and we did it the last time. Now, we didn't do it when there were, was a thundering herd of primary candidates, in that case, I'm mostly on the other side. Um, and um, don't see any point in that right now. You know, we'll, we'll see next year, but there will certainly be no shortage of information, apparently a very long string of televised debates. Anybody who is interested, and I hope everybody will be, and what these folks think and who they are is going to have so many chances to uh, observe that, that um, we'll be, we'll we'd think about it hard. You take on a lot of expense and distraction and, you know, possibly other exposure when you invite the circus to town, any of these circuses. So, uh, But do uh, a lot of public good potentially at the same time, not just be, do good for the public's knowledge of the candidates, do good for Purdue's reputation. I mean, there's plenty of it, benefit to the school, too. It could. We had one of the three candidates here last uh, time, you might recall. Mm -hmm. So don't rule it out, but you ask, uh, have are we right now or have we got any immediate plans and we don't? I mentioned the civics test a moment ago, and there's been more conversation about how that might proceed. You said on a previous show that you thought maybe by the end of this next academic year that will have all been ironed out. And one of the things that's being talked about now is um, that the idea of maybe doing a couple of tests, a pre and a post test, is one of the things that's been uh proposed, the idea being that students would be able to show growth in their knowledge over time if you did two of these things. Uh, you have said in the past that you didn't want this to be an onerous or time-intensive mm -hmm. thing. Do you think the, the pre- and post-test runs up toward that time onerousness? Maybe, although I'd like to salute the general idea that um, uh, of that uh, notion, because in in many respects, I don't know if civics is one, but in with respect to the overall academic uh, enterprise here, we do hope that students are growing in their critical thinking, uh, possibly in their grasp of, uh, um, for instance, data science, which we now believe is is becoming as important across an, our entire student body and their and our future population as. Uh, proper English has been in the past. So I really do think there are contexts in which getting some sort of measurement, just to be an accountable university, to be able to show that for the money people invest here, that our graduates did profit by it, did grow and, and evolve. Uh, now, whether civics uh, is um, lends itself to that, I'm not, I'm not certain. I, for one, would be happy if we had... Uh, enabled every Purdue student to certify that they have a basic grasp of this because it's very plain that many of their contemporaries and uh, elders do not. And I think it would give them a little bit of a edge, and as a university, it would differentiate us. There was some interesting discussion about this at the recent Purdue trustees meeting, and I thought that something that Sonny Back, one of the trustees, said was particularly noteworthy. He said, you know, he was talking about whether the international contingent of students would have to take this test. And he says, international students come here to learn about us. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, well, okay, you go to college, and certainly you're learning a discipline. You're learning to be an engineer, or you're learning to be a physicist, or something like that. But I wanted to get your take on that idea of the responsibility, if you will, mm -hmm. of an international student to learn about the culture in which they t attend college. Is that actually a responsibility, do you think? It's an opportunity. I hope they see it as a responsibility. I know when we support, as you know, we have 
dramatically increased the uh, number and percentage of Purdue uh, American students uh, studying abroad. Absolutely the reason uh, we do that, or a major reason, is that they will learn something of a different culture. And I hope that's what's on the minds of our international students when they come here. You know, um, there have been some very interesting conversations I've had with faculty on this civics question where this came up. If we do something, should we uh, also uh, um, apply it to international students? I would say most people uh, in those conversations said, yes, we should. And more than one said uh, that uh, they and their colleagues believe the international students might score better. I, I was about to say, my my knowledge of people who have taken the naturalization test and, and speaking to those people, especially immediately after they take it, strikes me as these people have done their homework. Yeah. So I don't know what would come of it, but it'll be, fa- it'll be fascinating to see. if Let's just say we do move to some sort of a of a simple measurement, it'd be very fascinating to see how international students do. And those those uh, uh, professors that I talked to about that, might they might be right. On the subject of international enrollment, there was a comment made by Tom Keon, who's the chancellor of the Purdue Northwest campus. This was during discussion about the enrollment at the Purdue Northwest and Fort Wayne campuses, which can be described, it was said at the meeting, kind of flat to maybe a little bit down. Um, but he made an interesting comment about the fact that there were a number of Saudi students, some 170 fewer Saudi students on the Purdue Northwest campus than there had been. And his comment was, our biggest challenge has been a barrel of oil. I I, I didn't know whether to cringe a little bit about that. That, that seems like an overgeneralization or or a, uh, a way of looking at the Saudi students that kind of monetizes them rather than looks at them as human beings. Well, I don't think that's what he meant at all. I mean, if you've been to a Purdue Northwest commencement, I've been to several, um, there's a very uh, significant percentage of, of Middle Eastern students there. I mean, here at West Lafayette, for example, it's hard to miss the Asian students, Chinese and Indian and Korean and others. Um, it, at Northwest, there's a... a a similar uh, noticeable percentage of Middle Eastern students, which is great. What he meant was those students are subsidized by their government. And when uh, he was telling me this just before the board meeting, first I had heard it, when the Saudi government's revenues decline, they are a little less generous in sending students anywhere. So uh, uh, that uh, that came as news to me, I think to our trustees too, but it's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? So in terms of the the enrollment being flat to down at those two campuses, I wondered if you thought Purdue's main campus is is almost a victim of its own success in terms of raising the profile of the campus the last couple of years. Because I imagine there will be some people who would choose a regional campus, maybe with the idea of migrating to the West Lafayette campus at some point, or go there for the Purdue name because it was closer to home because of their family situation. Uh, are you are you reaching the point at which you've got the, the most number of Purdue students you can have and the regional campuses might be suffering a little bit because of that? Don't think we see any evidence of that. Uh, uh, the uh, you're right that that our regional campuses uh, have changed and uh, are now, for instance, overwhelmingly full-time students. That's very different than ten or twenty or thirty years ago. Um, and um, a lot of them are li- staying at home or staying where they have a already have a job, a part-time job. So. 
Uh, I wish, honestly, that more of them were starting there and coming to West Lafayette. I think that was probably part of the original uh, thinking. Uh, it happens much less often than I would have thought uh, before I knew. But, uh, no, I think good things are happening at both those regional campuses and um, uh, that uh, they are providing a very important service to their students but also to the communities where they're resident. And uh, we're proud of what they're doing and eager to support them. All right. Well, this has been our conversation with Purdue President Mitch Daniels. Mr. President, thanks as always. We'll do it again next month. Look forward to it. I'm Stan Dostrepsky. Thanks for listening to the show on your Indiana Public Broadcasting Station today. Remember, you can find all of these shows archived at WBAA.org. Enjoy the rest of your day. Support for the monthly conversation with Mitch Daniels comes from Purdue University Press, publishing global scholarship and popular regional work since 1960. Today in print, ebook, and open access formats. More information at thepress.purdue.edu.